Tonight again, let me invite your attention to Luke chapter 2 as we think about this theme, immediate obedience. Uh, You and I live in a very noisy world. Uh, You drive on the road, you're going to hear people blowing horns. Uh, Wherever you live, you're probably going to hear the sound of sirens. Uh, We all have electronic devices and they make noises during the day and during the night. Uh, You also realize, too, that you find yourself in the car. You're probably listening to the radio. If you're in your house, you probably have the television going. We're used to noise. But we live in a noisy world, and if we're not careful, the noise can be so loud that we miss the gentle whisper of God. And that's the danger of that. One of the things that many of us are uncomfortable with in life is silence. We don't like silence. We don't like pauses where there's nothing being said or nothing's being heard. Interesting from God's word in Revelation chapter 8 verse 1, the Bible says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence. Then you think about the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. After the book of Malachi, there was a period of 400 years of silence from God. You may be in this room, you may be watching, and you say, that's the story of my life right now. It's not 400 years, but it's been weeks, months, maybe years for you. You've been waiting for a word from God, but it's something but silence for you in life. And so after 400 years, there was no prophet, there was no new word from the Lord, just silence from heaven. And then as we come to Luke chapter 2, though, one night... There were shepherds in the field. The silence was broken, and the Bible says the message was, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so 400 years of silence, and then God speaks to a group of shepherds out in the field and says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So you may be waiting weeks, months, or years in your life for God to break through, He will speak into your life if you will listen to what he wants to say to you. Immediate obedience. As we think about that, when God speaks into your life and my life and he gives us a direction about what he wants us to do, the question is, are we going to obey him immediately? In Luke chapter 19, Jesus having a conversation with the rich tax collector. And he says, I want you to hurry and come down. I want to go to your house. And the Bible says Zacchaeus hurried down from that tree and went to his house and Jesus changed his life. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus hanging around the Sea of Galilee sees two sets of brothers fishing. He calls them to leave everything their careers, their nets, their boats, even their father, come and follow him. And the Bible says, immediately they left everything and they followed him. As we think about the Christmas message, the Lord speaks into our lives and says, here's what I want you to do. This is the person I want you to be. Are we willing to obey him immediately, just like the fishermen did, just like tax collectors did, and just like shepherds did? Are we willing to do that? One of the things we know about this season, and even about even tonight, we know this, that Christmas is about gifts. Christmas is about gifts. John 3, 16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting eternal life. God is someone who gives, and he gave us the greatest. He gave us his only son who gave his life for us. And as you think about the characters of Christmas... Here's what you're going to discover. All of them gave something back to the Lord again. You think about, you think about Mary. 
a, a young lady, but she gave the Lord her life, but she all get, also gave him her womb. She gave birth to the Son of God and Savior of the world. Now you think about the wise men traveled a great distance. And here they are seeing the person of Jesus. And what did they do? The Bible says they gave him the treasures of their lives. They gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then, then we look at the shepherds. Here they are coming to see the Son of God and Savior of the world. What do they give him? They give him their time, but they also give him their witness. They could not stop talking about Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And then we even see this multitude of heavenly host angels. What did they do? They gave him something. What did they give him? They gave him worship. They were singing praise unto him. They were adoring him. They were worshiping him. And even tonight in heaven, as we're in this service, what are they doing around the throne? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Worship is taking place. And that's why it's so appropriate for us to gather on this evening and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we give him? Give him your life. Give him everything about you, but make sure also you give him your worship. I want to walk through this passage for a moment ask you a few questions, and we're going to focus a lot on the first question. Look at number one, is there room for Jesus today? Is there room for Jesus today? A number of years ago, uh, I, was, I had five other guys, so there were six of us. We were going to Atlanta, Georgia, and we were going to a Promise Keepers Pastors event. And so we made all the preparations. We were flying down to Atlanta, and we had hotel reservations downtown Atlanta, a nice hotel. We had three rooms, two beds in each room, because there were going to be two guys in each room, six of us total. We get to the hotel downtown uh, Atlanta. I go up to the front desk, and I tell them I've got three rooms. There are going to be two guys in each room. And the person at the front desk says, we've got an issue with your reservation. And then I say, oh, what's the issue? And they said, we don't have three rooms. I said, well, what have you got? And they said, we've got one room. I said, well, we got six guys. I said, well, we got one room. And they said, the issue with that room, too, is only got one king bed in it, and that's it. <laughs> and so basically the person said, we have no room in the end for you, by the way. And so I'm walking through that, and I thought, how in the world are we going to do that? There are six guys, pretty big guys, by the way, as well. And there's one room and one king bed. I don't think this is going to work. And I said, can you check other hotels in the area and see if we can't get some more rooms over there? So the front desk person said, we've already done that. There are no rooms anywhere downtown Atlanta. This is it. One room, one king bed, six guys. Well, we get up to the room. Who's going to take the bed? Nobody wants the bed. I'm not getting in the bed. I'm not getting in the bed. And so one of the guys with us, he would snore and peel the paint off the wall so bad. And we thought, how in the world is this going to work? But here's what happened that night. As we were getting into that hotel, guy finally in the chair, and this one's going to take the floor, and this one's somewhere else. Six of us in one room, one king bed. What started as a great burden for us turned into this incredible blessing for us six guys. Because we had some amazing times of prayer and worship in that room. We forgot all about the sleeping accommodations. Even though there was no room in the inn for us, it turned out to be a great blessing for us as well. Many folks in our country are experiencing that right now with this travel disruption that we see going on. Many of them may miss being home for Christmas with their families because they just can't get somewhere. There's no hotel rooms. They're sleeping on, on cots. They're sleeping on floors and airports. There all sorts of things happen because there's just no room in the end at these places. 
And then we come to Luke chapter 2. We're introduced to a guy by the name of Caesar Augustus. Interesting guy because he, was, he ruled the Roman Empire with an iron fist. And he's saying to these folks, I want you to go back to your own town. I want you to register. And why did he want to do that? He had a motive behind that. He had a motive behind it because two things. One, he wanted taxes. He wanted money. But also he wanted people to register for military service. If war ever broke out, he was going to be able to have people who would fight on his side. And so I want you to go back. So uh, we traveled the terrain in the Holy Land. And you go from Galilee up to Jerusalem and from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem. That's not easy terrain to travel in a bus, much less on foot or on animal. And so the message is, I want you to end up and go to Bethlehem. And I want you to go to the register because David was of the lineage. Or, or, or we see Joseph and Mary. Joseph was of the lineage of David. So he was going to end up in Bethlehem. So here's what's happening. Caesar Augustus thinks he's the one in control. But what we're going to learn in Luke chapter 2, God is the one who is in control. Because he was going to get Joseph and Mary at the right place at the right time in the city of David, the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem's an incredible town, known as the house of bread, known as the city of David, only five or six miles away from Jerusalem. It is an incredible place. And Mary and Joseph are going to find themselves there. Write these two words down. Number one, God's prophecies. Uh, When you look at the Bible... In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, here's the prophecy. You know that God had already favored the town of Bethlehem. We already know what was going to happen. Luke 2 is going to fulfill what is said in Micah chapter 5. The people just missed it because they didn't understand the word and they were so engaged in making money from the world, they missed the prophecies of God. And then the second word, God's placement. God is going to have Joseph and Mary at the right place at the right time. Only God could do this. So we find here in this text again, Caesar Augustus, everyone's going to their town to register. Joseph from Galilee to Nazareth, going up to Bethlehem. He was the house and lineage of David. Mary was with child. And by the time they got to Bethlehem, it was time for the child to be born. And what happens in the midst of that? There's no room in the inn. When we talk about an inn, we're not talking about a Marriott Rich Carlton at all. Uh, when we talk about an inn, a place where she's going to give birth in a cave, we're not talking about Tenova, Vanderbilt, or St. Thomas. Nothing like that at all. But the time came, God's prophecies, God's placement is going to have them at the right place at the right time. There was no room for them in the inn. I want to ask you tonight, just for a moment, is there room in your life for him tonight? Christmas Eve. Beautiful time. Is there room in your life for him tonight? Here's what we find in our world. It it could be in politics. uh, It could be in education. It could be in religion. When you look at those in many ways, there's no room in those for Jesus. You think about government. Most, Most politicians have no room for him. You think about education. In most educational circles, there's no room for Jesus. Even in religion, there's no room for him. But I ask you, is there room in your life for him tonight? Because when Jesus came the first time, he was beaten, he was ridiculed, he was rejected, he was crucified on a cross. But when he comes the next time, he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Is there room in your life for Jesus? Here's what I do know. All these high-profile athletes who may not have room in their lives for him now, one day they're going to say, Jesus is Lord. 
Uh, just a few weeks ago, I was at a dinner in Orlando, Florida. Ben Roethlisberger, who's known as Big Ben, played quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers here recently, has surrendered his life to the Lord Jesus Christ and said yes to Jesus. He has made room in his life with all of his success and accolades. He has made room in his life for Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of his life. But what about you? One day these politicians are going to be able to say, Jesus is Lord. One day these unbelieving professors are going to say, Jesus is Lord. Uh, One day liberal preachers are going to say, Jesus is Lord. And you say, why do you know that? Because of Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says one day every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess, and they're going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me ask you on this Christmas Eve, is there room in your heart, in your life for Jesus? I was listening yesterday to a podcast. I won't give their names, but high-profile sports individuals, but also singers. In their conversation about spiritual issues, no room in their lives for Jesus at all. I want to ask you tonight as a child, as a student, as an adult... Will you make room in your life tonight for Jesus? The Son of God, the Savior of the world. He was born in a cradle, but he didn't stay there. He grew in wisdom and favor and stature with God and man, lived an obedient, perfect, sinless life, died on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. Jesus Christ is alive, and he wants to be in your life. Is there room in your life for him? Look at number two. Is there reverence for Jesus today? When I say reverence, when you look at this story, here they are again, worshiping him, praising him, adoring him, exalting him. Is there reverence for Jesus in your life today? Meaning, do you stand in awe of him? Do you fear him, not in an unhealthy way, but in a way that respects him, that adores him? And then do you obey him? Because when you worship him, you want to obey him. Look at number one, listen as God speaks. As you think about the Christmas story, pretty much every sermon I've preached in this series on Emmanuel, whether we're talking about Mary and Joseph or we're talking about the wise men, we're talking about the shepherds, in every one of these stories, God is speaking to someone. And God is still speaking to you and me, but the question is, are we listening to him? I just encourage you, listen as God speaks. Now, in this story in Luke chapter 2, it's interesting. After 400 years of silence, God breaks his silence. Who does he speak to? He doesn't speak to the nobility. He doesn't speak to those who are in high places. He speaks to shepherds out in the field. There were shepherds in the field. And that's who he would speak to. No one would have expected God to speak to shepherds. These were the lowest of the lows. They didn't smell good. They didn't, they, they didn't have high status. They worked all the time. They stayed with sheep all the time. Many scholars believe that these shepherds were tending the sheep that ultimately would be used for the sacrifice. But who does God speak to? He spoke to shepherds. Now I want you to know that's encouraging for us on this Christmas Eve because it says this, that God relates and God speaks to common, ordinary people. Just like you, just like me. The question on Christmas Eve, is there room in your life for him? But do you have reverence for him? Are you standing in awe? Do you adore him? Do you honor him? Do you fear him? Are you listening to him as he speaks into your life? Number two, obey as God leads. 
God spoke into the lives of these shepherds. He told them that, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. He didn't give them all the directions and all the details. Just gave them two things. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That's all you're going to get. But they obeyed him. And the Bible says they obeyed him with haste. They didn't delay, procrastinate, negotiate. They obeyed him. What's he saying to you in your life tonight on Christmas Eve? Is he saying to you, you need a relationship with him? You need to make room in your life for him? Is he saying to you that he wants you to follow him in obedience to be baptized or join the church or serve him in some way? What is God saying to you tonight in your life? And then the question, are you going to obey him as he leads? And here's the good news. The Bible says, unto you is born this day in the city of David, Christ the Lord, but also he is for all the people. And so it doesn't make any difference the color of your skin. It doesn't make any difference your education level. It doesn't make any difference your address. It doesn't make any difference what your income is. God loves every single one of us. And Jesus gave his life for every single one of us. And so are you listening to what he's saying, but are you willing to obey him as he leads? I want to encourage you to write these down. One, refuse to waste time. When God gives you direction about what he wants you to do, don't waste time. The shepherds didn't waste time. The scripture says here, they obeyed with haste. Obey him quickly. Refuse to waste hours and minutes of your day. Number two, step out on faith. You may not know all that God wants to do. You just know the next step and the next step. Obey with what God's given you. Live by faith and not by sight. And then third, desire to see Jesus. Your goal in life, the shepherds, when they got there, they saw Joseph and Mary and the baby lying in a manger. They saw Jesus with their own eyes. John chapter 12, Revelation chapter 22 talks about seeing Jesus. We want to see Jesus one day in heaven. We're going to serve him, but we're going to see his face. Can imagine what that's going to be like. But as you and I listen to him and as we obey him, we do so with urgency. We do so realizing we're going to live by faith and not by sight. And we do so because one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. Is there room in your life for him? Is there reverence for him? And number three, is there remembrance of Jesus today? Well, what about you and I remembering him and the shepherds remembered him? Look at number one, share as God commands. One of the things I appreciate in our church family, even over the last week or so, I've heard families getting together, and before they start having a meal together or opening presents together, someone in the family opened up God's Word to Luke chapter 2 and read the Christmas story to their family and shared a gospel witness. I spoke on Thursday to one of our members who is a business owner here in town. He said he got his employees together the other day, and got him in a room together, and he opened God's Word, and he read Luke chapter 2 to his employees, and he shared a gospel witness with his employees. That's exactly what the shepherds did. They found themselves hearing from God. They obeyed Him. They, they didn't delay. They went with haste. They saw the Son of God, and then what did they do? They spread the message everywhere about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's asking us to do. Share as God commands. How do you do that? Let me give you these words. Number one is prepare. If you're going to tell others about Jesus, you need to prepare. Now take a class on how do you sh share your faith in Christ with somebody else or find somebody who will mentor you and say, can I spend some time with you because I want to learn how to have gospel conversations with people. Second word is pray. 
You pray for someone who needs a relationship to Christ by name. You may be with that person tonight. You may be with that person tomorrow. But who is it in your life, your family, who needs a relationship with Jesus? Pray for that person by name. And then you just pray that God will open the door for you. You don't want to push. You don't want to manipulate. You're not trying to pressure anyone. But as God gives you an open door, you pray that God will use you when that opportunity comes. Word number three is engage. You engage that person in a conversation. You transition that everyday conversation into a gospel conversation. An everyday conversation about gifts or about weather or about even food and turn it into a gospel conversation talking about Jesus in life. Number four is invite. What do you do? You invite people. You invite them to make a decision and give them an invitation to turn from their sin and put their trust in Christ. Give them an invitation to join you in your connect group or a worship gathering. Give them an invitation to read some Bible verses about who Jesus is. Or even give them an invitation to say, can we meet again in a week or so and continue this conversation about your relationship with the Lord? You invite, then the fifth word is surrender. You just surrender your life. You surrender the results. You're not trying. You and I don't save a single person. The shepherds didn't save a single person. They were just witnesses of the good news of Jesus. We're witnesses of him as well. We don't save anyone. We surrender and leave all the results to God in life. So is there reverence in your life for him? Look at number two. Worship as God desires. These shepherds, they found themselves in Bethlehem. The multitude of the heavenly host worshiping, they're praising God and saying glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then the shepherds, they find themselves, it says, return, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Are you and I worshiping as God desires? And here's what that means. What have we heard? What have we seen? And are we worshiping him? What have we heard? God's word, good news, life-changing truths. What have we seen? The work of God in the lives of other people. The work of God in our church. Are we worshiping God because of what we've heard and what we've seen? So we are glorifying and praising God for that. One of the greatest missionaries to ever live was Dr. David Livingston. Left England and served and invested his life in Africa. And Dr. Livingston had been in Africa for a long, long time. In fact, many people in England didn't even know if he was dead or alive, had no idea. There was a newspaper reporter in England named H.M. Stanley said, I want to go to Africa and find out if David Livingston is alive or dead. And so Stanley finds himself in Africa by the providence and the leadership of God. He finds David Livingston. David Livingston is not dead. David Livingston was alive. And so Stanley starts having a conversation with Livingston. Livingston literally is not feeling well. He's dealing with jungle fever. Not well at all. And so Stanley says to him, why don't you come back to England? You're going to be able to get medical help that will get you cured from this jungle fever. But also you're going to be able to tell your story. You will inspire so many people of missions in Africa. But also you're going to be able to make a great living sharing your story with other people. And Livingston said to Stanley, let me pray about it, see what God wants me to do. So they left their conversation. Livingston prayed during the night, asking God, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Do you want me to stay in Africa or do you want me to go back to England? God, what do you want me to do in life? 
Livingston saw Stanley the next morning and says this. And he said, I wrote this last night in my diary. And Livingston said about Jesus, he said, my Jesus, my Lord, my life, my all. And Livingston said after that, he wrote these words. He said, I dedicate again the entirety of my life to thee. And Livingston said to Stanley, God's not calling me back to England. God has called me to give my life in Africa. Livingston, sure as ever, died in Africa. When word got back to England that one of the greatest missionaries to ever live died in Africa, they sent to get his body. But interesting enough, before they were able to get the body back to England, the people in Africa literally cut out Livingston's heart. And here's what the people in Africa said. His body belongs to England, but his heart belongs to us in Africa. That's where his heart was at. And here's the interesting part of that. I would not deny that. His body belonged in England. His heart was in Africa. But the truth of the matter is, they were both wrong. Because David Livingston, his heart belonged to Jesus. Because he was worshiping and sharing the good news of Christ. Let me ask you this Christmas Eve, does your heart belong to Jesus? If so, worship him. Why? Because of what you've seen and what you've heard. If not, surrender your life to Jesus tonight. He wants there to be room in your life for him, but he wants you to give your heart to him as well. So I want us to bow together and we're going to pray. And As we bow together and pray, we're going we're to sing uh, some more here in just in a moment. But as we bow together, as we even give an invitation, we would not want to do a service like this. And not give an opportunity for you to make a decision for Jesus in your life. And so tonight with heads bowed, our pastoral staff is going to be here in front. We'll have some other people who want to pray with you. If that's your desire, they'll be here as well. But tonight, if you say, there's room in my heart and I want to give Jesus my life, we'd love to see you come forward and we could pray with you and to celebrate with you tonight. Again, maybe it's another spiritual decision. That you need to take an obedience to him. Why? Because there's room in your life for him and you've given your heart to him. We want to encourage you tonight. If we can pray for you or you can rejoice in the decision with you, we want to invite you to come. The shepherds saw Jesus change their lives. You and I see him tonight. What we've seen, what we've heard, he'll change our lives as well. So Lord Jesus, we give you thanks tonight. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were born in that manger in that crib, but we thank you that you lived a perfect life and you went to a cross and gave your life for us. Thank you that the tomb is empty and Jesus, you are alive. And so tonight, these two thoughts is a room. Have we given you our hearts? And Lord, I pray if anyone needs to come forward tonight in this invitation, we welcome them to do so. Even those who are watching online need to respond to us on the platform they're watching. We'd love to serve and minister to them as well. So Lord Jesus, There's room in our hearts for you, and may we give you our hearts as well. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.